0: hear from the word of the Lord, Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. And the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Well, This year has brought fresh and renewed depth to the meaning of this psalm. That though the earth gives way, we will not fear. We will not fear because of who our God is. He is our refuge. We will not fear because of what he does. He helps. He has helped. He is helping. And he will help us to the end. So let us, brothers and sisters, declare our faith, declare our trust in our rock and our fortress. A mighty fortress is our God A bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood A mortal is prevailing For still our ancient foe does seek to work us war, his crafts and power are great, and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. And if we in our own strength can fight. Our striving would be losing Were not the right men on our side The men of God's own choosing You ask who that may be Christ Jesus it is he The Lord of hosts his name from age to age the same And he must win the battle Hallelujah Hallelujah Hallelujah, Hallelujah. We will not fear And though this world with devils fell Should threaten to undo us. We will not fear for God at will. Yes. His truth to triumph through us. though the earth gives way, and though this world with devils fell, should threaten to undo us. try. His rage we can endure For though His doom is sure One little word shall fail That word That word above all earthly powers No thanks to them all. The Spirit and the gifts are ours. Through Him who with us sigh And we let it go Let goods and kindred go This mortal life also The body they may kill God's truth abideth still His kingdom
1: is forever. Amen. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, a mighty fortress. Well, welcome to this online service of Desert Springs Church. Uh, And perhaps you're tuning into this for the first time uh, we want to say welcome to you. We would love if you would just email us uh, just to introduce yourself, to let us know how you stumbled onto us or perhaps got invited to this. Uh, we have an info at Desert Springs Church. Let me give you the address, info at dscabq.com. Be great to know that you're tuning in for the first time and let us know if we can answer any questions that you might have about our church uh, or any ways that we can pray for you. Two things to remind you of uh, or update you on, and one would be the members meeting happening this Wednesday. This is for members of our church, and it is for members who have already registered to come. So we are full. We are at capacity in these days of uh, COVID-19. Now, for members who didn't register or are otherwise unable to make it, you can tune in online. Just keep an eye out for an email from Pastor Ron uh, in the next couple of days, and that'll give you a secure link for you to watch what goes on in this room live this Wednesday at 6.30. Secondly, uh, next Sunday, as you've been hearing, Lord willing, we are... Uh, going to begin to reopen for in-person gatherings of corporate worship. And that is very exciting. It's, uh, I think, 20 weeks as of this week that we haven't met together as a church. And so this is, um, this is what we've been waiting for. And yet, um, due to ongoing regulations, um, next Sunday and the following, we'll have some limitations and some guidelines. Um, some will be unable to come. If you're sick, if you have any symptoms, if you're uh, immune compromised or, or at risk, we encourage you to not come. Or if you're just generally uncomfortable is the thought of being together in a room uh, like this. We understand, no problem. We'll, we'll continue to stream our services just as we have been. Uh, We'll have actually two services, not at 10, so this will be 8.30 and 11 o'clock. And both of those services will be streamed live, and one of them will be left in place uh, if you happen to um, need to tune in after 8.30 or 11. And those will be in the same places as they have been uh, in weeks past, on our YouTube page, which you can get to from our social media and from our website. Now for those who are ready to re-engage in person uh, starting next week, Lord willing, it's very important that you read a document, maybe you have already, it's on our website. Uh, go to dscabq.com. Uh, you can see the longer address there for the direct place. But if you just go to our main website and at the top there's a red banner, click on that and, uh, and you'll be given some directions, some guidelines, some FAQs. Uh, things that we want you to read carefully before you come in upcoming weeks. Things like what's expected of you regarding masks and and singing or not, and and how to spread out in this room, all that's covered there. Um, What you can expect from us as a staff and what you can expect in this building regarding cleaning and uh, things like that. And, And who and when you'll come. Who's coming and when you'll come. Members and active attenders will be broken up into fourths by last name. And um, what that means is that every one of us can can go every other week, not every week. Um, Visitors can come any week in any service, not just according to their last name. So keep that in mind. You want to see where your last name falls in the schedule. Uh, It'll either be this coming week or the next, and it'll either be the 8.30 service or the 11. Many other details are listed there. Again, we want you to uh, give it careful attention before you come next week. But even under these limitations and regulations, let's be thankful. Christians should always be thankful people. Rejoice evermore pray without ceasing. and all things, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And do be praying. Be pray, praying for the logistics of this. Be praying for our leadership. Be praying for the peace of our church. Look, we know that there's a lot going on that we disagree about. We're not all going to agree on what the governor is doing or will do. We're not going to maybe agree on whether we should comply or not comply. Um, But the elders have prayerfully charted out a path, and, and we encourage you joyfully following us in it as we look to the Lord and we seek Him above all. That is what is most important. And may it not be that something like masks Divide the church of Jesus Christ purchased with his own blood. Well, Psalm 46, which drew red from already, ends in verse 10 with this. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. So before I pray, let's take just a moment, let's bow for a moment of stillness and silence. Be still and know that he is God. Oh Lord, we pray that you would help us to be still. Not just in our physical bodies which for a moment there didn't move and we didn't speak. We pray you'd produce within us a kind of stillness, a peace that passes all understanding. We pray you'd help us Lord to be still knowing that you are God that you will be exalted among the nations. We pray you would be exalted right now in, in this place, in this room where some of us are here but In family rooms across the city and beyond, as people tune in, be exalted, Lord. Be exalted in our worship. Be exalted in this church body that Jesus said he would build. We thank you for the exalted name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. May you help us to give him great praise today. Amen. Amen.
0: Jesus the name High over all In hell or earth Or sky Angels and men Before it fall And devils fear and flood, Jesus, the name to sinners, the name to sinners give, is scattered so thin us free. was slain, who was buried, and on the third day rose again, and ascended to the Father where he ever lives to intercede for those that are his. Oh, what confidence we have in heaven in our great high priest. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love Whoever lives and pleads for me My name is graven on his hands My name is written on his heart I know that while in heaven he stands No tongue can bid me dance Deep heart, no tongue can bid me that's deep. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and an end of all my sin because the sinless Savior died the risen land, my perfect spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the King of lords. my Savior and my God. With Christ, my Savior and my God. Oh, 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 oh because the sin that the Savior died, my sinable soul is counted free. For God the just is sad To look on him and pardon me To look on him and pardon me Yes, he ascended to the right hand of the Father, the Almighty And from there will come again to judge the living and the dead He will come again, our prophet our priest, and our king. We are strangers on our way to the city God has made. We are pilgrims From dark to light, from fear and doubt, and He will leave His feet. Christ was cursed and we redeemed.
2: And we were redeemed. That's our King. That's our King that's coming. Amen. Amen. Good morning. If you've got a Bible, we're going to continue in 2 Thessalonians. So please turn there, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, If you've been with us in this study so far, the first week we talked about the church being afflicted and suffering. And last week we talked about the doctrine of hell and eternal punishment. So, this week I thought we would lighten things up and we're going to talk about the Antichrist. How's that? It's great. But this is, this is an important book. This is good. This is an important study. So I'm glad that we get to look at this together. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 1 to 12. That's the focus of our meditation this morning. The Apostle Paul writes, Now, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned, who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That's the word of God. Let's pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, our redeemer. Amen. Amen. So I remember being in, it was probably like third or fourth grade when uh, a classmate of mine, a friend of mine, she, uh, she came up to me and she showed me this chart that she had that had, uh, I mean, it was crazy looking. It had all this stuff on it. And she was trying to explain to me all of the things that were going to happen before Jesus came back. And I was super confused. I had no idea what she was talking about. And, you know, this was at the same time. That was right when the Left Behind books first started being published. And all of my friends were reading these and talking about these things. And I was, I, I had no idea what to do with all of this stuff. And and I grew up in a tradition, in the conservative Lutheran tradition. And we just didn't even talk about this stuff. It was like, Jesus is going to come back. That's it, you know. And so I didn't know what to do. And I went and I asked my mom uh, to explain it to me. And my mom did a great job, uh, you know telling me what we believed and, and explaining all of that. But she kind of said, look, we believe that Jesus is going to come back. He's going to make everything right. And, and that's, that's it. That's what matters. And, and she was right. And I, and I was kind of like, okay. So I think in response to all of the things that were going around when I was young and growing up, I kind of overreacted to the, the study of the end times, okay? So when I would read the Bible, I, I realized, and I'd get to the stuff about what the end of the age was going to be like, I would kind of just skip it, you know? I wouldn't really think too much about it, and I would just fast forward to the end, well, Jesus wins, and, and so I don't need to know about 666 and the beast and the locust with fire in their tails. I'm just gonna just go to the end. And, and I realized that in doing that, I was ignoring... God's word, parts of God's word, which meant I wasn't being counseled by the whole counsel of God. And so I repented of that. And I said, I'm going to make an effort to understand what these weird things in the Bible are, are talking about. And frankly, I'm still trying to understand. But as I've, I've studied, I've realized that this stuff in the Bible, like the passage that we're going to look at today, that's not there to just satisfy some morbid curiosity that we have. This is God's word and so like all of god's word it's profitable it's meant to teach us and equip us and correct us and guard us and warn us and so that's what i pray happens this morning as we look at what paul is trying to teach us from this passage so first in verses one to four we are told to not be quickly shaken so verses one to four don't be quickly shaken You see that verse 1 begins with the word now that indicates that Paul has changed topics. He's moving to a a different issue, which is um, the fact that this church we see from verse 2 has uh, fallen into some false teaching. That false teaching probably came in the form of a forged letter. Do you see how Paul in verse 2 mentions uh, a letter from us. And at the end of this letter, Paul actually gives them an indicator how they can tell if a letter is genuinely from the Apostle Paul or not. So, one way or another, a false teaching has come to the Thessalonian church that teaches that the day of the Lord has already happened. And the Thessalonians assume that means that they've missed it. And they, they kind of freak out a little bit, which is understandable. That's big, if true. If the day of the Lord has already happened, you, you should be worried about that. And I don't understand. I don't know how they thought the day of the Lord has already happened. Um, maybe they thought it was like an invisible Spiritual reality, you know, actually Jehovah's Witnesses believe something very similar to that right now. They believe that Jesus came back in like 1914 in in an invisible spiritual sense. So this is not a new heresy, okay? This is the same false teaching. Regardless, this is what they think happens, that the day of the Lord has already come. And so Paul shifts in this letter to correct them. But what is really helpful is Paul doesn't correct them by just saying, no, it hasn't he's actually going to give them and us a, a better picture of what the end is actually going to look like. So he's going to, to teach them. In verse 3 he says, don't let anyone deceive you. That day, the day of the Lord, the return of Christ, will not come unless two things happen first. The rebellion and the revealing of the man of lawlessness. You know, it maybe. Uh, I was talking to somebody, maybe we wish he had just left it, it hasn't happened yet. Because now we have to figure out what the rebellion and the day of lawlessness is, okay? We have to look into that. And, And I'm going to get into that in just a moment, but do you see that this is the argument? The day can't come unless two things happen yet. And I think it's helpful for us to stop and consider what Paul doesn't say, how Paul doesn't answer this question. Uh, okay, I know people are, might disagree with me on, on this. That's fine. There is room to disagree here, okay? But I think it's interesting that Paul does not say to this church that thinks that the day of the Lord has come. He doesn't say to them, no, no, no. The day of the Lord can't come until you're raptured first and the seven-year tribulation happens. He doesn't say that. And and I think if Paul held to that theology that's called pre-tribulational, premillennialism, he would have led with that. That's, I know that's an argument from silence if you want to buy me coffee and talk about why, you know, that's not what he's saying. That's that's great. That's fine. I'm happy to to hear you out on that, but but that's not what he says. But also what Paul does not say is the day of the Lord won't come until pestilence and earthquakes and wars happen. He doesn't mention those things. And and I think that's a timely reminder for us in this crazy age that we're in. I don't know if you have heard this. I had literally just Uh, two weeks ago, I had a woman, not a member of our church, explain to me that all of the crazy stuff that was going on in the world right now meant that Jesus was about to come back. Maybe you've wondered. I mean, there's literally a plague going on right now, right? And there is a lot of civil unrest, and there was a massive earthquake off the coast of Alaska this week. Did you know that? Giant earthquake. Uh, And that's what what the Bible says, right? There's going to be earthquakes and famines and then the end of the world. Isn't that what Revelation talks about? Paul doesn't mention that. And so I think this is really important for us to, to know what God's word actually says about these things. There are a lot of popular, even sensational, even fictionalized ideas about what the end of the world is going to look like. There's lots of movies about what the end of the world is going to look like. You know, there's lots of, I'm, I, you know, a, pub, a, a prominent public figure earlier this month said that the coronavirus vaccine was going to be how the government secretly implanted us with microchips as the mark of the beast. That's common. That's out there. And that's not what the Bible says. And so we need to know what the Bible says about all of the crazy stuff that's going on in the world right now. Jesus himself talks about pestilence and earthquakes and and war. And he explicitly says in a place like Matthew 24 that that's not the sign of the end. You're gonna see this stuff. Don't be alarmed, Jesus said, which is the same thing that Paul says. Don't be alarmed. The end is not yet. Those are just the beginning of the birth pains. Similarly, the book of Revelation, it does talk about pestilence and famine and war. And what it says is that stuff's actually gonna be typical of our experience in this age and the age until jesus comes back that's going to typify the whole time maybe it'll ebb and flow maybe it will increase as the end comes but that's not the stuff that paul says to be looking for to determine whether or not the day of the lord has come it's these two things the rebellion and the man of lawlessness now to be sure these are tricky verses Okay, these are probably some of the most debated verses in the whole in the whole Bible. I'm approaching this with uh, a sense of humility. Okay, I you know I'm probably wrong about 30% of this, but I don't know which 30%. Okay, so uh, but I'm trying. And I think the key to understanding this passage is to interpret it in light of the rest of the Bible, to not take this passage in isolation. And that's for every passage of the Bible. Scripture interprets Scripture. So the key to understanding this is to look at what the Bible says in other places that reference this, like in the book of Daniel, First and 2 John, the Gospels, as I mentioned, and the book of Revelation. And... You know, we don't have three hours for me to go to all of those places, so you're going to have to just trust that as I'm approaching this, I'm trying to interpret it in light of those other things. If you are interested in what all of those other verses talk about, let me just stop. This is a book called The Man of Sin called by uh, Ken Riddlebarger. Ryan recommended this book to me. It had a terrible cover. I judged it by its cover. But this is a, this is a fantastic book that covers all of those places uh, in the Bible and talks about these issues. We can't go to all of that this morning so I'm going to just try and give you a straightforward interpretation of what this says. And to do this first it's going to help us to just step back and look at the whole timeline of history. Okay from really from the time that Christ came to the period that we're in now and until Christ comes back. And thankfully Paul does that in verses five to eight and he does it in such a way that it keeps our focus on the most important thing about our study of the end times which is that Jesus wins. Okay, so verses 5 to 8, remember that Jesus wins. Always have to keep this in mind. Look at verse 5. Paul says, Do you not remember that when I was with you, I still told you these things? You stop right there. This is what's frustrating about this passage. The Thessalonians know what Paul is talking about. Paul is saying like, hey, I explained all of this to you when I was with you. You know what the man of lawlessness is. You know what the restrainer is. So he's, it's kind of like we're listening in on one side of a phone conversation. We can't, you know, we have to kind of piece the information together. But Paul says, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Verse 6, you know what is restraining him now. What's restraining the man of lawlessness? So that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he's out of the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. So Paul says, you know what's happening right now. The man of lawlessness is being restrained by the restrainer. And we don't know what that means. As I said, they know, we don't know. There's a lot of debate, okay? Personally, I think the restrainer is a a spiritual force, something like an angel, okay? But the point is that something is acting under the sovereign direction of God to restrain, to keep this man of lawlessness from being revealed until the appointed time that God sets, I think Revelation chapter 20 verses 1 to 3 is describing the exact same situation. Revelation 20 says, I saw an angel, this is John, the Apostle John writing, I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit And shut it and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer, until the thousand years were ended, and after that he must be released for a little while. I think it's right to take this in harmony with Second Thessalonians, you see a lot of the same things. You see Satan and Satan's activity, you see deception, you see a binding or a restraining. So I think what this and Second Thessalonians is saying is that we are currently in this age, what some call the millennium. And during this age, Satan and his activity is being restrained. It is being prevented somehow. Revelation 20 is not saying that Satan is out of the picture entirely. It's saying that he is bound to what? To deceive the nations no more. And I think that's super cool. Okay, I think we can see this in real time, that, that what this is saying is that from the time that Jesus ascended to the Father and sits at his throne and his reign began, there is a difference in the activity of Satan. That Satan is not deceiving the way that he was, deceiving the nations. And what has happened since the Holy Spirit came into the church? The gospel has gone to the nations. And what's happened? They've believed the gospel They haven't been deceived anymore. Something is definitely different from the time before Jesus ascended and gave us the Holy Spirit and after. And that is that Satan's activity is being restrained. And what Revelation 20 and what our text is saying is that restraint that is happening is not going to last forever. There is a predetermined time where that restraint is going to be removed by God and then the two things that Paul talked about are going to happen. The rebellion and the revealing of the man of lawlessness. So what are those? I know you're dying to find out. Let's start with the rebellion. Okay? That word rebellion in Greek is apostasia. Does that sound familiar? It's like the word for apostasy, which means to fall away from faith. Now, that word in Greek, it can mean something like a military rebellion, but when that word is used in the Bible and in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it's always in the sense of falling away from faith, forsaking God's covenant and God's law. So it has to do with, with exchanging true faith for false faith and being condemned. Okay, so, so I think it's better to just insert apostasy when we see this word rebellion. And I think it's in that sense that the reference in verse 4 to the temple is really important. Okay? Paul says that this activity of the man of lawlessness and the apostasy is going to happen in the temple. Well, with the exception of the Gospels, when Jesus or his disciples are literally at the temple in Jerusalem, any time else in the New Testament where the word temple is used, it's referring to the church. Especially that's how Paul uses it. Paul uses the word temple to refer to the living temple. The the dwelling place of God on earth now. The curtain was torn in two in the physical temple. And now the spirit dwells in us as a living temple built up by stones of living bodies. And so I think when Paul says that this activity is happening in the temple. That the man of lawlessness will set himself in the temple. This is saying it's all happening in the church. So the rebellion that Paul is describing I think is referring to a future event in which a large number of so-called Christians on a global scale apostatize. They abandon the faith. They embrace false teaching, teaching that is directly opposed to God's law. And that teaching is embraced by everyone. Basically everyone in the whole world. I think that's what Paul is talking about. That's what the book of Revelation is talking about. That's the rebellion. I think if you read 1 John, which is actually 1 John and 2 John are the only places where the word Antichrist is used. Okay, so we're inserting that into these other places. But if you read 1 John chapter 2, where he talks about the Antichrist, he says, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. Listen to this. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. He's describing apostasy of false teachers that were in the church, that rose up in the church, but they didn't remain in the church. They left the true faith. And John explicitly connects that to The Antichrist. In chapter 4, he calls it the spirit of Antichrist. So it's false teaching turning away from the true faith. I think Paul in our text is envisioning the exact same thing on a global scale. So that's the apostasy. And in concert with that apostasy, somehow the man of lawlessness will be revealed. And I think it's right to say that the man of lawlessness is the same person that John called. The Antichrist, the Antichrist that is coming. Now this is a singular, it's one human person, one human being. It's not the devil incarnate like in those weird movies. It's a human being whom is acting with Satan uh, behind him. And he's, he's going to come at the end, near the end when right before the day comes. So this one figure, the Antichrist, is what the book of Revelation calls the beast, which is language that comes from the book of Daniel. And that language of the beast has a strong connection to government and governmental authority in Daniel and in Revelation. So so Paul says that this Antichrist will be revealed in relation to the apostasy. Okay, So these two things, in in Paul's mind, are happening together. They're two separate things, but they're happening together. Now, Now, I don't know if that means that the Antichrist will lead the apostasy, Or if the apostasy will kind of lay the seedbed for the Antichrist to step in. It could go either way. But when the Antichrist comes in verse 4, he is going to oppose and exalt himself against every so-called god or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, the church, proclaiming himself to be God. And all of that language, too, is drawn from other parts of the Bible. If you read through, especially the Old Testament, you would see time and again figures rising up in positions of governmental authority, and they demand worship, and they dictate how the people of God worship, and they institutionalize their persecution of the people of God. So they use the force of government, they use the force of military, they use the force of economics to persecute true worshipers of God. So think about Pharaoh. In the book of Exodus, think about Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel. Okay, there is a pattern to these figures. They are just like there's, there's types of Christ throughout the Bible. There's, there's David, there's Moses. Okay, there are types of the Antichrist. There are prefigurings of the Antichrist throughout the Old Testament. Now, if we had time, I would take you to the book of Daniel. Because Daniel, I think, gives one of the most dramatic types of the Antichrist in his prophecy—the one, the prophecy of the little horn. If you're familiar with Daniel, okay, um, Daniel is prophesying about this this Syrian general named Antiochus Epiphanes, who is not even mentioned by name in the Bible, and actually his his life and what he did happens in between the old and the new testament so we don't have a record of what happens in in our bibles we've got a record of it in lots of other places but um but but daniel has this vision about this King Antiochus Epiphanes, and what Antiochus Epiphanes does is he comes in, he conquers Israel, he he makes sure that the Jews he makes it illegal for the Jews to follow the Mosaic covenant, okay, so they can't circumcise their kids, They, they can't sacrifice the way that God's law says that they're supposed to. And then when the Jews rebel against Antiochus Epiphanes, he massacres like thousands of them. He comes into the temple, he ransacks the temple, he sets up an altar to the Greek god Zeus in the temple. And then he sacrifices a pig on it, profaning the temple. And Daniel calls that the abomination that makes desolate. And Jesus picks up that same language in the Olivet Discourse in the Gospels where he's talking about the end times. He picks up that same language and and moves it forward. He says, there's going to be somebody worse. There's another abomination of desolation that's coming, and it's going to be worse. And even his name, Antiochus Epiphanes, Epiphanes is a nickname that he picked for himself. That means something like God manifest. So if you were to read Daniel 11, you would see that this language that Paul's using here in 2 Thessalonians, it is directly referencing Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus is like the er the symbol of someone that is in governmental power who uses that power to dictate how people worship, who actively opposes God's law, exalts himself, asks to be worshiped, and even seduces unbelievers away from true worship and into the worship of of himself and what Paul is saying is that's what the end times Antichrist is going to do and he's going to do it on a level that Antiochus only hints at so what is that going to look like towards the end when when the Antichrist comes I have no idea I think we'll know it when we see it I think it'll be pretty obvious Maybe he's going to be a head of state. You know, maybe he's going to be uh, a prominent pastor. I don't know. I don't think it was Ronald Reagan. You know, I don't know. I don't know how we got. I mean, that's the Gipper, man. <laughs> I don't know. But, so, so that should caution us. There's been lots of predictions before, but I, but I think we, we will know it when we see it. But that's what Paul says is going to happen. That the day of the Lord will not come until the apostasy and the Antichrist are revealed. And then when that happens, we know from the book of Revelation that that, that apostasy will, will turn to worldwide persecution, tribulation of the church on a level that the church has never experienced. The nations will rise up. Satan, acting through these forces, will try to kill the church, try to swallow up the church and remove what God started once and for all. And it's going to get really bad. And it's going to build and build and build. Until there's this moment where all of the nations are gathered together to do the final battle. To finish it. At, at what Revelation 16 calls uh, Armageddon. A place called Armageddon. And it's going to seem like all hope is lost. And then Jesus comes back. Jesus comes from heaven. With his mighty angels. And flaming fire, and in our passage, verse 8, the Lord Jesus will kill the Antichrist with the breath of his mouth and bring him to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Amen. Amen. And I love, if, you, if you read all these places in the Bible, I was noticing this as I was reading how anticlimactic it is. There's, the nations are raging, they're turning, they're gathering for war. And, and the church, I mean, it's bad. The church is, is being persecuted and they're enduring and they're holding on. And it seems like it's about to hit this, you know, like the part in the movie where everything is going to get so intense. And instead, Jesus just comes and it's like, uh-uh. And it's done. Just, it's just done. There's not even a fight. Jesus by the breath of his mouth. Oh, I love that. Just a word. What did we sing? One little word will fell him. I think it's right to see in that a picture of the same word that God used to speak creation into existence. Again, he will speak in that day to destroy his enemies and vindicate his church. so, So good. Jesus wins. So again, church, that is our comfort. That is our relief. This is what we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks okay we will undergo tribulation if it helps you all of the uses of the word affliction in, in the esv that's the same word tribulation okay we will undergo tribulation even the great tribulation but jesus wins he will return and so we wait we stand firm because jesus says the one that endures to the end will be saved and so we hope and we wait And until that day, no matter what happens, verses 9 to 12, we love the truth. Verse 9 says, The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. In order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth. But had pleasure in unrighteousness. So it's almost hard as you hear that timeline play out. And you hear about the things that are going to happen. It's almost hard to imagine how that could happen. How something so global, so massive, so awful. How that could actually happen. But that's what the Bible says is going to happen. And I think the fact that that will happen should, should tell us again about that restraining force. Isn't that interesting? That, that when that force is removed, that's what people in their natural state would want to do. They hate God. They hate God's church. And so they want to organize together to try and crush it so that it can be eliminated once and for all. And God's restraining that. But if God wasn't restraining that, that's what would happen. But most of all, as this text says, all of that has behind it the activity of Satan. Okay? The, the Antichrist is really just a puppet that Satan uses to try and destroy the Messiah. But that, that activity that Satan is doing, it's deceptive. Okay? I, I would not recommend, don't do this. I, th- I, this is the role that I play, is to do this kind of research. I did a Google image search of Antichrist. Don't do it. Because all this like crazy, demonic, satanic, fiery, awful stuff comes up. That's not what the Antichrist is going to be like. I wish it was that obvious. Because then nobody would believe it. It's not going to be that. It's going to be deceptive because Satan is the father of lies. And that's how he works. He's even going to empower the Antichrist to do signs and wonders so that he looks like a messiah. It's interesting to look at the parallel words that Paul uses to talk about both Jesus and the man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians. So they're both said to be revealed. He uses the same word. They're both revealed. They both have a coming. Same word. They both are mighty, powerful, doing signs. And they're both worshipped in chapters 1 and chapter 2. The word antichrist in Greek, it doesn't just mean Opposed to Christ, it means instead of Christ. It's to oppose by replacing. Or as Jesus talked about, they're false Christs. They're imposter Christs. So the Antichrist is not going to have you know a pentagram tattooed on his forehead. He's going to be attractive. He's going to be persuasive. He's going to have smooth words. And he's, he's gonna, even going to do signs and wonders such that people will easily be deceived into worshiping him. In 2 Timothy 4, Paul writes this to Timothy, The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Here in 2 Thessalonians, Paul says these people refuse to love the truth. In verse 10. And he says in verse 12, they have pleasure in unrighteousness. So they love everything that's opposite of God's truth. Of God's law. And that's lawlessness. And verse 12 says, they're damned for it. They are condemned because they did not believe the truth, but they had pleasure in unrighteousness. Verse 10 says, if you love the truth, you will be saved. If you believe the truth, you will not be condemned. If you confess your sins and believe in the gospel, God will save you from the wrath that is going to come. But everyone that refuses to believe the truth, even the truth that I'm speaking right now, in that day when they are aligned with the Antichrist and Jesus comes and destroys him with one breath from his mouth, you're going to be caught up in that. And what we looked at last week, you will suffer eternal punishment away from the presence of God and from the glory of his might. You'll lose when Jesus wins if you refuse to love the truth. So stop doing it. Listen to me. Listen to God's word. Stop loving and seeking pleasure in unrighteousness because it's going to lead to your death. But everyone that believes the truth will be saved. I think verse I think verse eleven is really scary. If if this is you, if you're listening, you're like, "Ah, I don't know if I believe the truth. I don't know if I love the truth. Verse eleven says, God sends them a strong delusion, so that they may believe what is false. That's that's a really scary verse, because what that is saying is that God is not going to try and convince you of the truth forever. This is Romans 1 stuff. If you know Romans 1, it says, God eventually will hand you over to the lusts of your heart to believe what is false, okay? God will just let you get what you want and the condemnation that comes with it. So, so don't refuse the truth. Believe it. The church believes it. And I think what's really important for us to note from this last section In verse 7, Paul says, this deception and this mystery of lawlessness, it's already at work. I think that's, that's important for us. I think this is how John can say at the same time, as you have heard Antichrist is coming, so many Antichrists have already come. This is already happening. We should already be on the lookout for it and we should be on guard against being deceived by it. So the mystery of lawlessness is already at work in the world today. The same mystery of lawlessness that will lead to what we've been talking about. So what does that mean? What does that, this is what I've been asking myself as I've been studying this. What, is it, what does it mean that the mystery of lawlessness is already at work? How can we identify, identify this deception that's in line with false teaching, that's in line with government persecution, that's in line with what we've been talking about? And I had to ask myself, Is it being required to wear a mask? Is it being asked to not sing when we gather together to worship Jesus? Is that it? Is that the mystery of lawlessness? Are the restrictions, the guidelines that we're operating under, are they somehow the government using their authority to persecute the true church and lead a rebellion away from the one true faith? You've heard people say stuff like this, right? Maybe you've wondered this. I think, I think it's okay to wonder, but I don't think that's the spirit of the Antichrist. I don't. As I try to look at, at our situation, what's going on in our state, what's going on in our country, as I'm praying about this, what I see is not government persecuting the church. I see our governing authorities acting within their God-given roles. God gave them that role. God is sovereign, gave them to us for our good. And I see them trying to do their best. And what is an incredibly complicated situation, an unprecedented situation. They are trying to do their best to seek the good of their citizens. I think the restrictions that they're putting in place, they're temporary. They're by their design not going to last Forever. I think they are not being unfairly leveled against only the church, okay? And I think it's just them trying. Do we have to like the decisions that they're making? No. Do we have to agree? No. Do we have to submit? Yeah, I think we do because I don't think it's the spirit of the Antichrist. I just I just don't. So with everything that, that Ryan said, I think up to this point, our church has, has been right in how we've approached this. I think we've approached it with the spirit of, Humility and of patience. I think we've approached it with a right, God glorifying submission to our authorities. In a spirit of Christ likeness, Christ submitted when he didn't like it. And a love for our neighbors. And I'm glad that we're going to be able to just keep on going with the plans the elders have set out for us, that we're going to open up next week. And we're going to start worshiping in that same spirit so so no i don't I don't think we need to be worried about this the way that Paul is calling us to. I think the mystery of lawlessness is going to look different than that, but it is already at work. Down the street from my house, there's a ch- a church, I hesitate to call it a church. Uh, they call themselves a church they're in like a mainline Protestant tradition, and they 've got a really pretty building uh, and and you know they've got this big entrance on one side of their entrance there's a cross that's obviously been there for a long time it's really ornate and on the other side of their entrance just as prominent just as big there's a rainbow flag that is not a complex moral issue you can't open up God's word and make any kind of reasonable argument that it teaches anything other than that homosexuality is sin and idolatry and evil. There's no way around that. That is God's law, and here is lawlessness being celebrated in a church. And I lived in Texas in, uh, when was it, 2014, when the mayor of Houston, you remember this? When the mayor of Houston was subpoenaing pastors for their, uh, for their sermon manuscripts. Anytime they preached anything to do with homosexuality or gender identity, They were supposed to hand over their sermon manuscripts to the state, to the city government. And they didn't say what they were going to do with it. But that was scary. That was really scary. For us in ministry to see that that was happening, that's the spirit of Antichrist. That is state-sponsored lawlessness. And thankfully, the courts stepped in. And that was localized in one city. And Jesus didn't come back, so she was not the Antichrist, okay? But that was the spirit of Antichrist, I think. And even now, I can conceive of a situation where a true Christian loses their job or they lose uh, an economic or a political activity. They lose access to one of those activities because because they, they post God's word on Facebook. Because they express a genuine Christian belief about LGBT issues, or they just fail to adequately express their allyship with the LGBT community. You know, somebody's like, hey, why didn't you change your Facebook profile to that little rainbow thing during Pride Month? Until I see you do that, I'm going to organize a boycott against your business. And a true Christian can't, can't do that. And so they're cut off from access to the marketplace i I think that's what the mark of the beast is going to look like i think that's what the you know just you know the, the mark of the beast in revelation chapter 13 i don't think it has anything to do with the literal number 666 i certainly don't think it's a microchip i don't know where that came from i think what it is is it's just some kind of public signifier that outs true christians that there's no way that a true christian could could publicly align themselves with whatever this is because it would be lawlessness and because of that they're cut off from the marketplace they're cut off from avenues of power they are oppressed and persecuted that's the spirit of antichrist that's the mystery of Lawlessness, it's already at work now. I'm not saying that LGBT stuff is the Antichrist. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that's the kind of stuff that we should be looking out for. It's coming from within the church. It's a popular false teaching that's clearly in opposition to God's law that's getting state endorsement behind it. It's gonna be something like that, I think. So what do we, what do, we do? What's the point of all of this? Why am I talking about this, this scary stuff? Well, the whole point of this last section, is talking about deception. That people are deceived. And how are they deceived? Because they don't love the truth and they don't know the truth. If you don't know God's law, you will believe lawlessness. You will believe when people say things with with what seems like loving intentions, what seems like, Godliness, what even seems like signs and wonders, when they say things that are opposed to God's law, if you don't know what God's law is, you'll believe it and you'll be deceived. We're, next week, we're going to look at, man, I can't wait for next week. Next week's happy verses. <laughs> next week is encouraging and But we need to hear the admonition that Paul gives to them in verse 15 because he's contrasting them with the people that that don't love the truth and are deceived. He says in verse 15, Brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Okay, the letters that were compiled into the New Testament, what he's saying is the Bible. Hold Fast to this. Know what this says or you'll be deceived by the spirit of Antichrist. I think I've already made this point but I'll make it again. This is how we respond to this section. We have to know what God's word says and we have to love it. Like Psalm 19 stuff. This is gold to us. This is honey dripping from the honeycomb. We have to study this. We have to memorize this. We have to let every aspect of this in, infect us. We need to be discipled by this and not by, not by weird articles on the internet. Okay? We need to be discipled by this and not by you know, the, the, what cable news says or what that guy on the podcast says. We need to be discipled by this. This needs to be telling us what the truth is. This is the truth. And if we know the truth and when we see untruth, we can say that's not it and we can flee from it. We can call it out for, for what it is. And in that day, if that day is in our generation, when that apostasy happens, and when the man of lawlessness comes, we won't leave. We won't fall away because we know what the truth is, and no matter how the untruth comes, we're not deceived by it. If you don't know this, you're you're at risk of being deceived, which is to be at risk of being condemned. And if you don't know this, and you don't know what our hope is, because as I said, Christians, it's going to get bad. It's already bad. I mean, we can already think of instances where this is happening and we feel that pressure. Maybe even we feel that pressure right now. This is how we stand firm because this tells us what our hope is. Jesus wins. Jesus wins no matter what happens. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would build us up in a love of the truth. that we would let your word instruct us and, and that we would store it up in our hearts and that we would meditate on it day and night and we would teach it to our children. God, so that we wouldn't be led astray, that you would guard us and keep us by this faith once for all delivered to the saints. This true faith. God, please help us to stand firm, to endure even if there are tribulations or sufferings that come our way. Lord, please give us wisdom. Please give us discernment. Help us to not be alarmed or quickly shaken by all of the things that are going on in the world. Help us to be faithful. Give the elders of our church wisdom about how to be faithful. Give the leaders in our government wisdom about how to be faithful. Lord, and take this virus away. Lord, whatever you do, most of all, just keep us. Help us to stand firm. And help us to hope in that day when you will come. And we'll say, it, it is well. It is well with my soul. Amen.
0: Let us respond. When peace like a river tends my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll Whatever my lot Thou hast taught me to say it is well Satan should buffet though trials should come let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shared The clouds be rolled back as us groan, the trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend, even so.
2: If you can say that, that when Jesus comes it will be well with your soul. Have you confessed your sins? Have you asked God by his grace to forgive you of your sins because Jesus died the death that your sin deserves? If you haven't done that, if you have still refused to love that truth, I beg of you to repent. And if you have questions about that, that what we call the gospel, if you don't understand what that truth is, don't walk away without getting those questions answered, okay? Ask ask someone. If you've got a friend that told you to watch this service, ask them. If you don't have anyone to ask, email us, info at dscabq.com. We would love to answer any questions that we can. And if you've just got questions about <laughs> This stuff, if you want to buy me that coffee and talk about the rapture, you can find my email on our website. But for those of us who love this truth and really love it, may you be encouraged, may you be equipped, may you stand firm, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.